Well, welcome to Artisan. It is good to be with you and worship with you. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Artisan. And as we're going through this series called Pause, I, I had a, a friend of mine come to, to mind, um, somebody I, I love dearly, very close to me. Uh, he reminds me a lot of myself a few years back. And his life is very different than mine is now. And when he wakes up, first thing in the morning, what happens is his alarm goes off and it starts to play music. And from that point on, he uh, gets up, goes into the bathroom. He's got his special MP3 player in the bathroom that, you know, doesn't get affected by the moisture and stuff like that, a special bathroom radio. And he listens to music and the music is going and he's a salesperson so he's in his car a lot and while he's in this car he's got the car, the car radio going and it's always going, always, always, always. It's always some kind of music or something going in. Uh, when he goes back home at night, he goes back home, he flips on the TV. I tell you no lie, he's got this like 56 inch in-wall high def thing in his living room. He's got televisions in every room of the house. I'm not lying, there's even one in the bathroom. You can go into this bathroom and watch, you know, Sports Center and things like that while you're doing your business in the bathroom. And so, you know, even in the bathroom, he's got TV going, radio going. He goes out at night, goes out clubbing. You know, he's got the, radio, the music blaring. He's out with friends and partying and loud noise. And it just keeps going. And there's all this chaos in his life. And basically, he gets home and he crashes and he just passes out. And then tomorrow morning, he starts it all over again. And this is his life. And I don't know if any of you can relate to that. I know I can relate to that. That was very similar to the way my life was just a few years back. And what I realized was when I started to uh, get this twinge in my heart that, that God wanted me, wanted a relationship with me, um, I was actually starting a, a program of recovery. And it was group recovery. Anybody ever have group recovery experience? That's a fun time, sitting around in a room with 12 people bearing your soul. It was, it was a lot of fun and a very interesting time. But the thing that we did at the beginning of every group recovery session is we were sitting in a circle in a room, in chairs very much like this, and we would sit with both feet on the floor, hands in our laps, straight up, and just relax, and we would meditate for 20 to 30 minutes. And you could always tell the new people in the group because the new people were the ones that absolutely could not sit still for more than like the first two or three minutes. You know, they'd be sitting, they'd be fidgeting in their chair and squirming around and they'd be opening their eyes, you know, peeking to see if everybody else in the room is making, you know, head down and got their hands folded in their laps and are, are they meditating? And, and you know, th there's just something about enter into, entering into that place of silence, of pressing pause in our lives, that when we first start doing it, we get really, really uncomfortable. Because I know this was true in my life, and it might be true in your life. For the first time, I'm alone with my thoughts. And for the first time, I can start to hear the Spirit of God calling me and calling me deeper and maybe pointing out some things in my life that I thought were going great. You know, when I got the music pumping and I'm in my car and I got the good job and I'm making money and things are going really well. 
I'm feeling good. But when I take that time to just pause, God starts speaking to my heart saying, no, there's, there's a few things we need to clean up. There's some areas in your life where you're not exactly fine. You see, I related a lot in my life, and I think this, this friend of mine relates a lot to this way of, of trying to find my wholeness, trying to find my happiness in the things of this world, the stuff of life. And I think I was in good company here because I know that King Solomon, one of the richest men in the history of the world, also tried to find his happiness, his fullness in stuff. In fact, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes to start out our time. And actually, we're going to hop around the Bible a little bit today, but we're going to start in Ecclesiastes. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up. If you don't have one, there's one on underneath the chair that you can use. If you don't have a Bible, you don't own one, we invite you to take this Bible that you're holding or you're sitting above, take it home, and this is now your Bible. So please take it and use it, and we pray it's a blessing to you as you uh, get into God's Word. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament. If you maybe turn to the middle of the Bible, you'll probably hit Psalms and then go a couple books to the right. Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And this is written by King Solomon, or it's attributed to him. And he's writing about his life experience and how he tries to find fullness, how he tries to find wholeness, how he tries to find joy in his life. And he's tried a whole bunch of things. And here in Ecclesiastes 2, he starts out in verse 1, and he says to himself, Come now, let's give pleasure a try. Let's look at, for the good things in life. But I found this too was meaningless. In verse 10 he says, Anything I wanted I took. I did not restrain myself from any joy. I even found great pleasure in hard work. An additional reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Between verses 1 and 10, he talks about how he built houses and how he made these wonderful things and how he, he hired people and he had servants and musicians. He had slaves. He had the slaves that had children. He had animals. He had livestock. He had fruit, vegetables. The man was so rich, he didn't build with just bricks and mortar and sticks and big trees and things like that. He did start with that, but then he overlaid everything with gold. He was so filthy rich. And he says it's all meaningless. I want us to all try something together here. I want you to breathe in and then breathe out and then try to catch it. Can you try to catch your breath? Well, that's when King Solomon says it is meaningless. The word in the original language is habel. And it means breath. It means vaporous. It means nothingness. So he tried to fill his life with stuff and things and people. And it was hebel, meaningless. Like chasing after a wind. So what is wholeness? Where does that come from? Where does our joy come from? Where does our fullness come from? And I'd like to suggest that it comes from a place that we don't like to talk about all that much. 
I think that we find a lot of our wholeness and, and fullness in something that is called discipline. Now, I know, just take a minute before you get all upset. Some of us, when we hear that word discipline, we get so clenched up that if we were to back into a brick wall, we'd suck the bricks right out of the wall. I tell you that that's how we react to that word called discipline. But I think Christian discipline is often, number one, misunderstood. And number two, because of that misunderstanding, we just don't want to do it at all. But Christian discipline is not meant to be a burden. It's not meant to be a fetter, a chain around our neck that weighs us down. It's meant to be something that's freeing, something that liberates us. And so today, we're going to talk about pausing monthly and the spiritual discipline of fasting and spiritual examine. Now, we're going to talk about this in, in the sense of doing this monthly today, but these practices, the same as some of the other practices that we've talked about, could also be done weekly, and they could be done daily. And so, as we talk about fasting and spiritual exam, and especially spiritual exam, and these are, again, things that we could do more frequently than monthly, but we're going to talk to, about doing them on a monthly basis. So, Discipline. As I'm thinking about discipline, I can't help but think about what's going on in our world today. How many people are watching the Olympics? Watching the Olympics? Yes. How many people are watching Michael Phelps? Oh my goodness. The man is a machine. He's amazing. And when I think about discipline, that's the kind of person that I think about. Physical discipline. Someone that has mastered their art, sculpted themselves into this just machine of swimming. Incredible. Eight gold medals. Wow. Breaking world records all over the place. And that's physical discipline. I think as we're thinking of spiritual discipline, if we're really honest with ourselves, we need to ask the question, in our spiritual lives, are we more like Michael Phelps, cut, hard, a machine? Or are we more like John Candy? A little bit big around the midsection, little flabby. John Candy's dead. Maybe even spiritually dead. I don't know. It's... Maybe that's not such a good example. But are we spiritually fit or are we spiritually flabby? And I think that we have to ask ourselves that question. It take a little time to look at our spiritual lives and say, where are we spiritually? My parents are a huge inspiration to me, and especially now. They, uh, last year, my wife and I, and uh, Pastor Scott and Tracy, his wife, we, we ran the Rochester Marathon. Trained all summer for it, ran it in September. And uh, my parents were there at the finish line. Actually, they were there at a bunch of places along the way. And they were so inspired that they said that we want to do that next year. Now, not the whole marathon. They want to do a the relay, which is the marathon, broke up into four pieces. And so my parents said, we want to do the relay. Now, understand, my parents are in their late 50s and early 60s. They've never, ever run in their entire lives. I'm not, not even in their 20s did they run. So now in their late 50s and early 60s, they've decided they want to run. And so they signed up. They went to Fleet Feet down on Monroe Avenue and signed up for a class called Learn to Run. And they started back in, I think it was March. 
when there was still snow on the ground, deep snow. And they went out. And my mom and my dad, who have never run a day in their life, started out running 30 seconds and then walking five minutes and then running 30 seconds and then walking five minutes. And that's how they started. And I am super proud to say that I was just talking to my parents this past, uh, yesterday, and my mom, uh, my dad is he's boasting about my mom. It's so great to see them kind of just brag on each other. And my dad tells me, You're, you would have been so proud of your mom. She went out today, and where they are in their training, today she ran six minutes, and then walked for one, and then ran six, and then ran, walked for one, and they did that six times. So she is now running almost an entire 36 to 45 minutes. It's incredible. I, I, I am just super impressed and super proud of my parents. As we are thinking about and talking about our spiritual disciplines, we need to come at it the same way that my parents and anyone that's ever trained for anything like a marathon has to come at training for those big events and those big sports. You don't jump in a pool and run a, or swim a 50-meter splash and dash in 26 seconds or whatever it is the first time you do it. You don't go out there and run 26.2 miles on a day just because you, you know, on a whim, you thought it would be fun. You know, you try to do something like that and you will hurt yourself physically. And as we start talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting today, I want to suggest to you that it is a wonderful and a freeing and liberating and experience and, and, and it's just a great discipline to practice, but you need to work up to fasting uh, in a way that we'll talk about. And so the other thing that I want to make sure that we uh, point out as we're talking about discipline is there, there's a couple ways to come at Christian discipline. I, I, I know that, as I said, even the, the thought of that word just makes people oh, very uncomfortable. I think it's because it's largely misunderstood. I think when we think of Christian discipline, we think of how many people saw Da Vinci Code and will admit it. How many people saw Da Vinci Code? Yeah, Tom Hanks, horrible in that role. They should have cast anybody but Tom Hanks. But uh, the, the albino, the big monk with the supposed to be pink eyes that were blue in the movie. I don't understand why they did that. But um, the chalice that he had around his leg, anytime he had an impure thought, he'd pull the chalice and it had barbs that would dig into his thigh. Remember that? That's what we call asceticism. Not just plain asceticism, but extreme asceticism. It's mortification of the flesh. It's beating the body into submission. And a lot of times when we think about Christian discipline, that's what we think about. Wearing these horrible things that dig into our flesh and, and beating ourselves with the whips that have little pieces of bone and glass and metal in them until we bleed. You know, that... I'm not going to ask you to do any of that today. And in fact, I'd like to think that this practice of uh, fasting is something that can be joy-filled. And I'd like to suggest that it is. So as we go into this idea of fasting, I also want to point out some scripture that's, that shows that it can be joy-filled. So if you want to turn over to Luke chapter 2, there's an example of this woman. She was a, called a prophet or a prophetess. In Luke 2, her name is Anna. In Luke 2, verses 36 and 37, it says this. There was also a prophet, Anna. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer 
day and night. What did she do with, with fasting and prayer? Worshipped. She worshipped God with fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer was not something that she felt was a burden that she just couldn't bring herself to do or really struggled with. This was a way that she was worshipping God. She was joy-filled through fasting and prayer. This is a woman that she was married at probably an early age, in her teens or early 20s. She lived with her husband for seven years, and then her husband died, and she spent the rest of her life in the temple, worshiping God, serving in the temple, praising and praying to God. So the example of Anna is one that I would like to put forward as the example that we follow as we're talking about fasting, as we're talking about this spiritual exam, and we come at it from a place of worship, and it can fill us with joy. I'd like to encourage you, if, if this idea of fasting is something that you think you would like to try, during this next couple of minutes, I really encourage you to start taking notes. Use the note space on your bulletin there, and there's some pens on your chairs. The reason why I'm encouraging you to take notes is because you can hurt yourself with this stuff, and so I want you to make sure you write some of these things down so that uh, you don't, and that this is a really wonderful experience for you. Um, and the first thing I suggest that you write down is there are three different kinds of fasting, three different fasts. The first one is called a partial fast. The second one is called a normal fast. And the third one is called an absolute fast. Now, we'll go over each one of those individually in case you didn't write all of those down right away. But the first one is a partial fast. And basically, that just means that you're denying yourself of something pleasurable. Scripturally speaking, in Daniel chapter 10, we see Daniel going through a difficult time, and he decides that he is going to, for three weeks, go into a partial fast. And he says this in verse 3 of Daniel 10. He says that he would eat no rich food, no meat or wine had entered his mouth, and I had not anointed myself at all. So for three weeks, Daniel did this thing called a partial fast. Now, not anointing himself for three weeks, that basically means he didn't shower or bathe for three weeks. So he was probably kind of ripe by the end of his uh, fast, but this is something that he had called himself to and so that he would grow closer to God. Now, this is something that a partial fast is something that we can do in our lives if we're going through a time when the other forms of fasting really aren't applicable to us. If we have a medical condition where we are not able to fast, we have diabetes or something like that where you have to really monitor your blood sugar level and you can't do things like go without food for three days, seven days, then something like a partial fast is probably something that would be a really wonderful experience for you. Um, it could be also just that you know in your life there are things that have control of you and you know that you need to let go of them for a little while. And so you can do things like shut off your television for a week or a month or three months or shut off your computer for a day. No email for a day, I know. Put the stones down, it's okay. We'll, we'll get to some other things that we can do. So that was partial fast. The second one is a normal fast, and that means no food, but you do drink water. And we'll get into the details of normal fast in just a minute. The third fast is called an absolute fast, and that means just what it says. Absolutely nothing. No food, no water. 
And this is a very, very dangerous fast, but it is something that has been people have been called to in the Scripture, and we'll go into that. Uh, but it's, it's for extreme times, and it's things that this is a moment in your life where God has called you to take a time of extreme or absolute fast. Write these down, check these out. Esther, chapter 4, talks about how Esther calls her people. She is the queen, and she calls her people to an absolute fast for three days. That's very important because no food, no water, that's about how long your body can go with an absolute fast, three days. Now, she does this for a very important reason. She is about to go before the king. The king has issued a decree that the Israelites will be wiped out. Um, He doesn't realize that his wife is actually an Israelite, a Jew. And so she is encouraged to go before the king and make this request to the king that he change his edict. And basically, at that time, anyone, doesn't matter if you're the queen or anyone else, if you go into the presence of the king and the king did not summon you and the king does not want you there, the penalty for that is death instantaneous. Just take you out, chop your head off, and it's done. And so she says to her people, pray for me. And she asks her friend to go out and call the people to an absolute fast for three days. Another place where you see the, the absolute fast is in the New Testament. It's in the book of Acts. And Saul of Tarsus, who has just been out capturing and killing Christians, this new sect that's threatening Judaism called Christianity. Uh, He has been out killing and and, uh, uh, putting in prison these Christians, uh, has just had an encounter with God. There's been this bright flash of light. He's been knocked on the ground, and he's been stricken blind. And for the next three days, the Scripture says, Paul didn't eat or drink anything, an absolute fast. And there's also... Two examples in Scripture of a miraculous absolute fast. Moses and Elijah are, uh, we see them in Scripture in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9 for Moses and 1 Kings 19 19 for Elijah have these experiences of a 40-day absolute fast. Now, that is nothing short of miraculous because the human body can't go without water for more than three days. So, nothing short of miraculous there. And we are not telling anyone to do an absolute fast uh, for 40 days, ever. So, um, so those are the three fasts. The partial fast, the normal fast, and the absolute fast. Now, what most of us will probably be experiencing is this thing called a normal fast. And you might have in your, your back of your head questions like, you know, is fasting really something that we're called to do? as the church, as New, New Testament believers, as people that are uh, serving God and serving Christ? Are, are we supposed to be doing this? And I think Scripture points to the fact that, yes, we are. And in fact, Jesus, he doesn't tell us to do it, but he assumes that we're going to be doing it. So if you look in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and his friends and all this huge crowd of people that are following him. And he says to them in Matthew 16, verse, or 6, verse 16, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and show men they are fasting. So when you fast, don't look like you're fasting. I tell you the truth, that they have received their reward in full. But 
When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus is basically assuming that you will be fasting. He says, when you fast. Other places in Scripture, Jesus is confronted. The kind of religious leaders of the day come to Jesus and they ask him why his followers aren't fasting, why they're not practicing the the discipline of fasting. And Jesus lays out for them that while the bridegroom is present, that the bride will feast, that there won't be any fasting. And then he says, but there will come a time when the bridegroom will go away. And at that time, the bride will fast. And so the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, has gone away And the bride, the church, is here, and he is assuming that we will be fasting. When you fast, he says to us. So, knowing that this discipline is something that we are called to in our spiritual walk, how do we do it? There's a very specific way that I'd like to suggest that we do it, that we can start to learn to walk, and then jog a little, and then run in our fasting experience, spiritually speaking. So the first thing that I'd like to call us to, and again, I'd invite you to write these down and uh, make note of these, is called a 24-hour partial fast. Now, this is a really good way to start experiencing the spiritual discipline of fasting. And what it is is 24 hours. So what it would be a good way to experience this is you eat a light lunch, and then you fast your dinner, and you fast breakfast the next day, and then you break your fast at lunch the next day with a light lunch. Now, this practice of fasting is very interesting in that we think the way that we can get through this fast is the day before we fast or the meal before we start fasting, we just, we just carb load. We pack it in there. You know, we have the pizza, the subs, the, you know, all the heavy food, and just stuff ourselves, and we'll make it for that next 24 hours. And that's really a bad way to go about it because what happens is, is anybody eat a real heavy meal and then the next morning you wake up and you are famished, just starving. Anybody have that experience? I, I have that all the time where you get a big meal the night before. You think yep, you'd be stuffed the next morning, but all, you just have these incredible hunger pangs. And uh, that's what happens when you do this with fasting, if you have a huge meal. Um, so what we suggest is a light meal, maybe fruits and vegetables or just something very light. And then for 24 hours, you don't eat, and then you break the fast the next day. By the way, if you ever wonder where the name Breakfast comes from breakfast. That's where it comes from. Now you know. Put that in your back pocket next time you play Jeopardy. There you are. So 24-hour partial fast. The next step from that is a 24-hour normal fast. And it's the same time period. So to use that example of lunch to lunch, you would start by eating a light lunch, and then you would do nothing. I'm, I'm sorry. The, the difference with a partial fast is during that 24 hours, you could drink fruit juices and eat maybe the light fruits or something like that. Uh, that's for the partial fast. Now, to change that up and take it to the next level, you would go and start with a light lunch and then have nothing but water for the next 24 hours and then break the fast at lunch the next day with a light fruits and vegetables kind of a lunch. And that would be the next step. So 24-hour partial where you're just eating fruits, light juices, things like that. 24-hour normal. And then the next step would be a 36-hour normal fast. And that would be all day long. So it would be something like you would eat a light dinner. And then the next day you would go 
skipping breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then you'd break your fast the next day in the morning with another you know, light fruits, juices, and uh, uh, very light fare. So that progression of understanding how to do the fast is one that as you are experiencing the spiritual discipline, I encourage you to do things like take notes. So as you're experiencing something like a partial fast, you know, you write down during your dinner time, you know, your body will, will tell you that it's hungry. You start to get the gurgling in your stomach and hunger pangs and stuff like that. That's your body telling you that you're supposed to eat. But see, it's because our bodies have been programmed that we eat at certain times of the day. And so our body says if we're not getting the, our nutrition during that time that we are hungry. And you're not really hungry. Uh, there's probably not very many people in the room here where we're close to starvation at all. And so um, what we're feeling is just the, the body's response to being programmed to eat at certain times during the day. So write those down and say, you know what, I felt hungry, maybe I felt a little dizzy at this point in time. And the reason why we're writing these things down is because when we go through it again, we remember and say, oh yeah, I had that happen the first time and I made it through it and I'm okay. So the next time we don't uh, forget those things and, and maybe stop our fast before we're able to because we get a little freaked out or something like that. The other thing that we're doing as we are fasting is writing down what's going on spiritually. What's going on inside? Do we feel that twinge of anger? Anybody get angry when you get hungry? I am the first to put my hand up with that. Anybody in my family will tell you, you do not let me go for very long without feeding me because I will get ornery. Anybody ever get that way? Yeah, willing to admit it? Okay. There's a few of us in here. And so as I fast, that feeling of anger, at first I can kind of pass that off as just, you know, being hungry or whatever. But then when I start to really examine it, when I really start to get down to the core of it, I start to realize that it's because there's, there's a spirit of anger inside. And it's kind of coming out. Maybe in your experience with fasting, it'll be something different. Maybe you will start to feel really needy. You know, I need to be with people. I need to go visit my friends. I need to go visit my family. I need to go have something to eat. I, I need to go watch my soap operas or something like that. This spiritual toxin will start to work itself out and will start coming out in your fat time of fasting, and it will start revealing what's going on in your heart. Now, we've talked about 24-hour partial, 24-hour normal, and then a 36-hour normal. And what we would recommend that you do is practice each one of those things for maybe once a week for a couple weeks. And then once you get it and you kind of feel it and you know what your body goes through, you take it up to the next level and practice that for a couple weeks, maybe three weeks and feel what your body goes through as you go through the next level. And then when you get comfortable, or at least you, you understand how your body reacts to it, you take it to the next level. So after that 36-hour normal fast, the next level is going to God, seeking God. God, where do you want me to go from here? Okay, I understand and I know what a 36-hour or a, an all-day fast feels like. I know what I go through there. Where do you want me to go from here? And maybe God will continue to, or ask you to continue to do this on a weekly basis. One day a week, you fast. 
Maybe God will tell you that there's going to be a time coming up in your life where, you know what, you need to take three days. And you need to, to do a normal fast for three days. So nothing but water for three days. Maybe God will tell you you're going to go through an intense time of persecution or, or there's something in your life that really needs to be brought to the surface. And so you're going to need to go through a seven-day fast. And there may be some of us here that are being called to a, a deep spiritual experience, a deep time of spiritual discipline, and maybe God is calling you to a time of a 40-day fast. And so I encourage you to take this, this information that we've written down here and challenge yourself to work this discipline. It's like any other thing in, in a, the, spirit, uh, the physical realm. When we sign up in January, we make our New Year's resolution, we go to the gym and we start our spiritual discipline or our physical discipline. How many people have done that? Gone to the gym in January, said, I'm going to change my life, I'm going to start working out, or whenever. It doesn't have to be January. Anybody experience that in your life where you say, I'm going to start my gym membership? Okay, you get to the gym, you start working out, you are on the treadmill for about 30 seconds, and what do you realize? Whew, am I out of shape? Once we start these spiritual disciplines, suddenly we, we see the places in our spiritual lives where we are flabby and out of shape. And God will start pointing these things out. In fact, there's a book that I would highly, highly, highly recommend to you. Anna mentioned it three weeks ago. Scott mentioned it two weeks ago. I encourage you to write this down and check out this book. If you don't have it, it's probably at the library. And if you would like to buy it, I'd encourage it. But if you don't have the resources, there's every pastor on staff here has a copy of this book that we could lend to you. Um, but it's the book, The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And specifically, when you read through The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster in the section on fasting, he lays out things for you that you will probably experience in this, this time of fasting. If you get into it for longer than three days, you'll experience on your three, four, five day, you're going to start experiencing things like really bad breath because your body is ridding itself of toxins and suddenly they're, they're coming out and you have halitosis. If you continue on day 9, 10, suddenly the hunger pains go away and you get this feeling of, man, I could do this fast thing forever. And then day in the late 20s, early 30s, maybe up into the 40s, depending on your body and how you're made up, suddenly the hunger pains will come back. And that is telling you that your body is beginning to starve and it's time to break the fast. And so, highly recommend it, Celebration of Discipline. It's got a much more fleshed out uh, recommendation for how to do these things called fasting. It also points out that there are good motives for fasting, things like growing closer to God, things like God showing you where in your life that you need to kind of chisel and work and develop your spiritual life. Um, and he'll also point out that there are bad motives for fasting. Fasting is not a way to lose weight. That is, is not a way to, to drop, drop a lot of weight and, and uh, get your weight under control. Um, it's not for personal gain, but it's for growing closer to God. And of course, you could say, well, that's personal gain, but um, I think you get the meaning here that it's, it's not for selfish gain. So, Foster in his book says this, and I'll close with this quote. 
He says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. See, we cover up what is inside with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. Fasting is a time where we can be led into a place of deep spiritual examination. Now, again, we can say that fasting is something that we can do on a monthly basis when we pause monthly. We can do it on a weekly basis. Uh, But when we come into this time of fasting, uh, some other things that we would recommend that you do is something like the Ignatian Spiritual Examine. And uh, I, I don't have time to get into this tonight. I, I really wanted to actually take us through a time of spiritual examine, um, but we're not going to have time for it. And in fact, that actually works out really well uh, because next week we're having a, a message by uh, a guest, a wonderful guest. Her name is Sister Marg. She's from the Mercy Retreat Center down here on Clinton, or I'm sorry, Mount Hope and Highland. And uh, Sister Marg is going to be here. And she's actually going to lead us through spirit, uh, spiritual examine or, or Ignatian examine. And so if you'd like today, you can take one of these little pieces of paper. They're in the back. They're on a chair as you go out the door. Um, it has the five steps of spiritual examine more uh, fleshed out than you have on your bulletin there. You'll notice on your bulletin it's got the five kind of highlight points there. But uh, you can take this and take it home and and use this, again, you can use it daily, you can use it weekly, you can use it monthly during this time of, uh, of examine. And in the same way that, you know, we're called to as, as men and women to do a monthly exam, you know, women are, are suggested that you do a monthly breast exam, men are suggested to do a, a monthly testicular exam. Men, how many of us actually do that? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, so hopefully the uh, spiritual examination that we're doing will do much more often than that. Um, but again, we do these things because we're looking to prevent that spiritual cancer in our lives that can grow and kill us. And so, as we go to God and respond to His Word, my hope is that as Foster said, this this time of spiritual examination, this time of fasting, will be a time that God will draw out of you the things that are controlling your life. And that it will be a time for you to bring those things to God and say, take these, forgive me of these. And when we do that, we'll realize that these disciplines are not burdens but they are things to free us from the burden of the sin in our lives, the junk in our lives that's holding us down. And when we do that, I think that our only natural response is to give thanks to God. And so I'm going to invite us to respond to God's Word uh, today. And the way that we do that is the way that we invite you to every week, and that's through this this table. Uh, We call this the table of Eucharist. Eucharist just means thanksgiving. And we come to God and give thanks for the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, who opens up the way to new life and wholeness and forgiveness that we were not worthy of on our own. Jesus Christ is is God-made flesh. And so He, on the night that He was betrayed, took this simple bread 
something that they would have at every meal. And he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his friends and his disciples, those sitting around table with them, and he said, here, take this and eat it. And when you do this, when you eat this bread, remember me. Remember that God's word says that the wages of sin is death. And that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of what God requires of us. And so Jesus pays the price of that death by offering his own body to be broken, to be killed. He lays down his life. After dinner was ended, he took the cup, this cup of celebration, and he blessed it and he shared it with his friends and he said, take this and drink it. And when you do this, remember me. Remember the blood that was shed for you and remember that there is this new life, new covenant that you can have because of my sacrifice for you. And so we offer these same elements today as a way to remember the gift of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we invite you to come to table, break off a piece of the bread, and dip it in either the wine or the juice, and give thanks to God, remembering what He sacrificed for us. And so if you're asking yourself, well, should I take communion today, should I not? First, I'd like to point out, if, if Jesus were here in flesh and asked you tonight to join him at table, to come and share a meal with him, if your response would be, yes, I want to share a meal with you, then please, you're welcome to the table of thanksgiving. And secondly, I'd like to offer this as an opportunity to take just a moment before you come to the table and examine your heart. Examine maybe your day today, maybe the week that you've had. And if there's any, anything in your, that you need to get out, you need to confess, just bring that to God. Lay it at His feet. Realize that you've already been forgiven. Accept that grace and come and give thanks at this table of thanksgiving. And so let's, let's go to prayer. Let's bow our hearts before God and ask his blessing on the rest of our time here together. Our Father, we are just so thankful for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the word that you have put in front of us that has challenged us, that showed us that there are these, these disciplines that we can take in our lives to exercise our, our spiritual person. Lord, we pray that these examples of meditation, of Sabbath rest, of fasting and spiritual examine, that as we enter into these practices, that we would become spiritually fit. As we go to table, Father, draw our hearts close to you. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we worship you and we praise you through our acts at table.
through our acts of discipline, we pray that they would be worshipful and that they would draw our hearts closer to you. It is in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. The table is open for the remainder of our time, uh, even as the music is playing. So uh, we invite you to take a time and just meditate on, on God's Word um, and then approach the table. If, if anyone would like uh, a time of prayer, uh, we'll be over there by the candles and we invite you to come on over and, and speak with one of us if you'd like to just take some time to pray. Um, but with that, uh, the table's open. Let's respond. <laughs>